The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is a unseasonably glorious day here in Massachusetts. Last year, all I talked about was the snow, and this year it was uh, 60 plus degrees in February. I don't really know what's going on, but apparently spring is coming early, Um, and that's great. Uh, But back to what we're talking about today, Uh, as usual, we're going to be talking about stuff related to college. And one of the things that we tend to get asked about fairly frequently here at College Coach is the possibility of paying in-state tuition at an out-of-state college. And in fact, just recently, the University of Maine announced a policy whereby um, students from New England states can apply and if they're accepted, pay in-state tuition even though they're not from Maine. So that's pretty exciting. I love to ski. My son loves to ski. I'm hoping they still have this policy when it's time because University of Maine might be looking really good at that point. Um, But that's one school and one policy. And if you listen to the show on a regular basis, you know that it depends and different schools have different policies are very common catchphrases in the admissions and financial aid world. Uh, And this is no different. So as a result, we're actually introducing a multi-part series to explain all the different options in the U.S. where you can pay in-state tuition even even if you're an out-of-state student. Um, part one of that is going to, we're going to be taking a closer look at the Midwestern Higher Education Compact. Um, and that's, we're going to do that today. We're also going to be answering listener questions on college admissions. Uh, but first, we have a special guest with us today who's going to offer us some tips and tricks for using Naviance to navigate the college application process. And that special guest is Kristen Rose, who was formerly an admissions officer at Bennington College of Vermont. And for all those who are my age, a special shout out to 80s wonderkind author, Brett Easton Ellis, who's a Bennington grad. Um, but she's currently on the other side of the desk as a school and college counselor at Burr and Burton Academy in Vermont. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks so much, Beth. Uh, yeah, we're really excited to have you here. And I think probably the first thing I'll start with uh, is what is Naviance? That might be familiar to some of our listeners, but others may actually have no idea what that is, either because their kids are younger or maybe it's not something that they've heard about at their school. Right. So Naviance is a program. It's an online web-based program that schools can purchase and use with all of their students and students' parents. So the other name for Naviance is Naviance Family Connection. So it really serves as a tool for students, parents, and counselors to all stay connected throughout the whole college search and application process. 
I mean, it sounds phenomenal, and I actually have some familiarity with Naviance, um, although not an extensive amount because, um, you know, that's it's typically a school be- offering, and mm-hmm. um, it's not something that here at College Coach we necessarily are using with our students. But the way I know it as a good resource is kind of seeing how student one student stacks up against other students who've applied to the colleges that they're interested in. Can you share a little bit about how that piece of Naviance works? Right. I'm glad you pointed that out because it's been one of the most useful features for us because college admission uh, can really vary from school to school. Um, mm-hmm. So at our high school, students can go on and look at our student statistics from the past 10 years at a certain college. So using grade point averages and standardized test scores, it, uh, if you're a visual learner, it gives you a scattergram. You can even, it, it'll map yeah, you those out are and awesome. show you. Right, you can see visually what are my chances at this school. And just you can see the kind of history that your high school has had placing students at that college. Yeah, and I think that's such a great resource because one of the things I do tell my students is, you know, we put together a list of suggested colleges for students, uh, and that list is based on data, sort of nationwide data, and mm-hmm. um, on students that we worked with who have applied to colleges and with sort of similar statistics, but there's always nuance in that, right? And so I'm always telling them what's great about Naviance is it does help us understand how students from your school have fared at that college. And um, and I do find that useful. There right. are some and from drawbacks. the counselor side, we can see the individual students. And um, so if they're outliers, we can see why, um, yes. you know, confidentially, and then let the student know, hey, if you have a special talent, you this this may be a good match for you you know don't you know don't just look at these statistics at face value so that that's a nice tool for counselors to have to really help guide the students Right, and I guess by the same token, right, you can say, yes, I can see that there was one student with your grades and test scores admitted, but let me tell you, that was a special circumstance case, right? So. Right, there's your, there's your flip side of it. Um, and we also found it, I think, especially when we first started using it, that, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to dream and, and we encourage that, but at some point if you have five schools you're looking at and you can see visually that, wow, those are all really reach schools for me, um, you know, sometimes just having that, that visual and that data backup can, can kind of help bring you back on the right track. Right, exactly. It, it sort of help you predict like, wow, I've got these five, maybe I need to add, you know, five more where I'm looking a lot better and maybe I'm right. still going to apply to these five or, right. you know, maybe I don't want to stretch quite that much. So maybe I'll take three of these, apply to them and then maybe select a few others that offer me a better shot. Exactly. Yeah, I do. I think for me, that's that's one of the ways in which I find Naviance very useful. But because we're not a school and we don't really work with our students on Naviance, I know there's so much more that it can be used for. And a lot of our students and a lot of the families that we talk to on a regular basis do have access to Naviance. And I'm not sure they all realize all the different things that you can do with it. One of the things that you just mentioned is very interesting to me, the idea of Naviance family connection mm-hmm. and, you know, parents accessing it. And so maybe um, you could tell us a little bit more about that piece of it and how you use it at your school. 
Right. Well, we love it when the parents log in, and it's it's not a requirement. Like we have students, they have to get on there because we actually send their all of their letters of recommendation and transcripts. We send everything through Naviance. So students are required to get on. For parents, it's an option. But the, one of the best things with parents is that the parent can be doing some college research, and they can mm-hmm. add certain schools to a, to the students' colleges I'm thinking about list, and they show up in red that the parent added them. So then when I meet with the student again, we can say, huh, you know, mom or dad really, it looks like they've been uh, perusing Connecticut schools, you know, like Mm -hmm. let's let's focus in some more here. So it allows all of us to be on the same page as far as that goes. That also allows parents access to see what um, their student's GPA is because all that information is updated on there. All of their test scores, there's a log of all the the testing that's on there. Uh, And they can even look at some of the um, the um, there are surveys on Naviance, so students can do, for instance, a career survey, and it will come up with uh, possible, you know, career options based on the, the things, you know, how you answer these these quick questions. Mm-hmm. And I think a, more parents seem to really want their students to be focused in on you. Know, what are you going to study in college? How is that going to drive our college search? And so we've found those career tools to be helpful as well as they're looking. You know, do I do I want to go into business? What does that entail? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm interested in being a financial planner, you know, what, what courses should I take in high school? Uh, and then what does that look like in college? And does it require an advanced degree after that? And all of that information is embedded in the career tab um, in, the, in the Naviance program. Yeah, I, well, one of the things I love is that I do, it is great to have parents involved in the process. I mean, parents who are completely uninvolved, um, I've found that that's, it can often lead to unhappiness at the end of the process because the student was sort of left to their own devices and chose whatever they wanted. And the parents saying, well, what do you mean you want to go to California? We're never going to send you to California. That's crazy talk if they live here on the East Coast or the reverse if you're in California. But it's but I'm always I know that the parents I talk to want to be involved appropriately Mm-hmm. Um, and not in a way that's going to be disruptive. And so mm-hmm. to be able to add schools that will then show up as they added them so that, mm-hmm. you know, there's no miscommunication. You are thinking the student wants to go to Connecticut, and in reality it's the parent who's making that suggestion. I would imagine that's pretty useful to your relationships with the students and your conversations with them. It is great. It's helpful on, on both sides, really, to, to, to really bond and understand and advocate for the student, but all within what the parent is really looking at is realistic. So the parents also like that all the scholarships are listed there, speaking of one yeah. of the parent roles, paying for college. So schools can list all of the scholarships, all the local scholarships that are in there, and then have links to major scholarship programs. So that's another link that parents like to access um, as well as whenever we host um, family nights for parents to come in and do more in, in the Naviance Family Connection Program, I always mm-hmm. catch them sneaking peeks at um, some of the links. Like there's a map, and it shows you where all of your high school's students are attending college or yes. the, the 20 most popular colleges. And they're, they, they're really interested in those. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's fascinating stuff. If you're in the middle of this process, anything that shows you data points um, is something you can kind of hold on to. I do think that people find that pretty fascinating. And mm-hmm. even if it's a little sometimes like, oh, boy, that's a little scarier or worse than I thought it was going to be, at least you have some facts in front of you, which is great. Um, right. And I, I also like having something 
tangible to give um, you know parents that are brand new to the process as well as uh, their students. You can come in here knowing nothing. You don't know anything about your college, your major. You you just are starting with a blank slate, and you can go right in, and it will walk you through a college search, uh, and ask you is you know, what's important to you, and it just gently guides you through this process, and you can come out with a really interesting list of potential colleges to look at. And from there, of course, it's nice to have a college professional to look at it with you, but I think it's a very nice tool for people that are just starting as well as people that are on that more advanced scale, really digging deep um, into that. Right, absolutely. And, I mean, I think it's always great when someone starts asking you questions about, well, what do you want? Do you want big? Do you want small? Where in the country do you want? Because I, I do find that one of the bigger challenges a lot of families face is they have no idea even where to start, right. except just, well, you know, our neighbor's daughter ended up here, so I guess we'll look at that school, which may make no sense at all for the family, right, for many right. reasons. Um, so it's great to have this. Now, you mentioned that your students are required to go into Naviance. What, how do you, um, when do you introduce them to Naviance, and what kinds of things do you require them to do on the, on the um, program? Right. This was the first year that we um, had freshmen get on, and mm. part of that was in order for us to have a, a space where we can keep notes, clear notes, for four years. So part of what they did was they started entering what they thought that their course of study would look like for the next three years. Um, and it's, it's nice, again, because we have it all in, in one place. The other thing that we have them start doing, even as freshmen, is to complete a resume. So there's a resume feature in Naviance. It's very handy when students apply for summer jobs. They can uh, yep. just print it right out, and they've got a resume to go. Uh, it's very helpful for school counselors, college counselors, that are writing their letters of recommendation because mm-hmm. the students are putting everything in there that maybe they didn't list on their application as one of their top ten activities. But uh, but it's important to mention, you know, babysitting or that they volunteered at a camp one summer or mm-hmm. different, you know, clubs or interests that they had. All that stuff goes on their resume. So freshman year, they get started now. We we discourage the college side of it. Uh, we don't want to stress them out. They just started high school. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's more. Yes. It's, it's like, you know what, the, the, um, the career profiler is fun. You go in and it asks you quick questions like, would you like to maintain the grounds of a park? Yes, no, or maybe. <laughs> you just go right. through and answer, you know, 150 plus of these questions. And then it comes out with, Here's some suggestions. You know, you like working with people or, you you know, whatever it is. Um, and that can help them as they look ahead at, at choosing classes. So um, sophomore year, we get them going in a little bit deeper. And then obviously junior year is, um, you know, we list all of the colleges that come visit our high school. All the college reps are listed in there. They can sign up right online to come meet with a college rep. And the program sends them an email reminder so really junior year, it gets um, more heavily used. And then, like I said, with seniors, we send everything through Naviance. So your teacher recommendation letters are all uploaded in there and your transcript and everything gets sent electronically. I, I love the idea that you're getting them in there in ninth grade. Again, to your point, not so much because you need to be focused on college at that point, but 
you know, one of the challenges that I see students having is when they sit down in their senior year to try and remember everything they've done over the course of high school, right? So Mm -hmm. there are 10 slots on the Common App, and I have kids in my office, they've got five things, and I'm saying, Mm -hmm. I know you have more than this. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sure we're forgetting things. And if they had been more diligent about keeping track of those things back in ninth grade, then would be it would be much much easier to fill out that section. So absolutely, um, yeah. So that's a really nice one because you're ideally anyway you're not forgetting, and mm-hmm. ideally they're keeping that up to date. Um, and even parents now that they know that that exists can hopefully say, hey, did you add that to mm-hmm. your Naviance resume? And then they've got it all there for them. Right. Uh, what you know? What else are there? Other parts of Naviance that you wish more students would access, or that you find particularly useful um, when you're working with your students? Yeah, there's there's so much in there about careers, and um, honestly, because you know we do primarily college counseling, I think we even overlook that sometimes. But they have um, they have videos. They have over 3,500 videos embedded in the program to look at different college majors and different careers. So That's just nice cool. short little snippets that can give you an overview. You know, we've had students say, oh, uh, CSI, forensics, that sounds really neat. And then they go on and look and they're like, oh, uh, oh, you have to learn chemistry? Oh, that's, I didn't know that, <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. Right. So, that's not so interesting. A lot of really good information that you can do. And those are super for the freshmen and sophomores and, um, and even juniors. Uh, and they have the ability to save things in there, and you, it's neat to see how, how you've grown. There are other programs within Naviance that schools can purchase as well, so we may not even have some of the things that other schools have, but you can you can upload on um, portfolio pieces and have a document library in there. So if you've written good essays maybe in your English class that you know, some colleges require a graded paper or maybe you've written a personal essay, you can upload all that in there and have it saved in one place. Right, and then you can go to it or you could look at it with the student and say, you know, this was a great essay. Maybe this is a, a good base for your college essay or, hey, I like this essay, but I'm not sure it's appropriate for this and let's talk about why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that sounds, uh, again, I'm, I'm, uh, we talked before the show and, and I said, shared that I don't know all that much and um, I'm excited about all the different things you can do, and now I'm excited to tell my students, hey, you know, you have all this access to the school stuff. Um, Why don't you use more of it? And here are some suggestions for you to use that. So I really appreciate it. And to families who are out there listening right now, um, wondering if Naviance is something that your school offers, uh, I would say a quick um, email or question to the school counselor the next time you see her or him. Um, as to whether or not the school does offer Naviance. And if they don't offer it, uh, you might in- approach the, the parent-teacher organization to see if that's something um, that could be funded. A lot of times schools don't offer it because it's, it can be expensive. Um, but if that's something enough parents are interested in, there's the possibility maybe of raising some funds and, and getting it for the school. Um, Kristen, thanks so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Beth, for asking. It's such a good resource, so I'm I'm glad that you're promoting it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Up next, we're going to go to the break, but right after, we're going to do the first in our series on tuition exchange programs in the United States. So if you're hoping to pay in-state tuition at an out-of-state school, you are going to want to stick around for this one.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, my fabulous colleague, Kathy Ruby, who just so happens to be the former Dean of Student Financial Aid at St. Olaf College in Minnesota, is here to share everything you need to know about the Midwestern Higher Education Compact. How's that for an intro, Kathy? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Good. So nothing, nothing like setting the, high, the expectations very high, but I know you can achieve them. Uh, why don't we start with the basics, which is what is the Midwest Higher Education Compact? Okay, so that's actually almost a trick question. So the compact itself is actually just a group of states. Um, So let's see, there are 12 states, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. 
So it's a group of states who formed a compact to do things like encourage student access, encourage innovation, and enhance productivity in higher education, and they do public policy research too. But, but most importantly for our purposes, what they do is they run a tuition reduction program called the Midwest Student Exchange Program. So that's really the, the, the reciprocity program, if you want to call it that. Got it. But for very quickly, did you just recite those from memory or do you have them like jotted down? I have them written down. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to be extremely impressed. I'm still impressed, but that's, that would have been really icing on the cake. All right. So then what is the Midwest student exchange program that you just outlined for us? All right. So the Midwest Student Exchange Program is a program where certain public institutions in states agree to charge 150% of resident tuition. So it's not straight reciprocity. It's that they agree to charge 150% of whatever their in-state tuition is to kids who are coming from other states in the exchange. Um, Now, it's important to note that While there are 12 states that are in the compact, only nine states actually participate in the exchange program. So Iowa, South Dakota, and Ohio are in the compact, but they don't participate in the student exchange program. So there's only nine states. Okay, so if you were living in Kansas and hoped to attend school and pay less than typical out-of-state in Iowa, no go. You, no go. You're not right. going to get it there. You might get and, some other kind of scholarship, but you're not going to get a Midwest student exchange Got it. And when, program. So when we say 150% of resident tuition, that means basically they're paying resident tuition plus 50%. And I would assume that is significantly less than out-of-state? It de- probably depends. What, it depends. How does that yeah. back up? It depends okay. on the state. Um, their website says, so in fourteen fifteen there were about 9,400 students. That's quite a few who were awarded <clears throat> MSEP waivers. And the average reduction was about $5,400. So okay. it's not huge, but it's not chump change either when you multiply that over four years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So how does it work uh, to, you just said they, they were, you know, 9,500 students who were granted waivers. So mm-hmm. it sounds like there's a process. What can you tell us about how it works? Yeah. So, so essentially, I mean, these are, these are voluntary programs that schools participate in. So not every public institution in the state is going to participate, but we can talk about that in a minute. Um, But the awards are sometimes competitive. So sometimes you have to meet certain criteria in order to get it. So just being from a certain state won't do it. Um, But then other times it's open to everyone from your state. So for example, I happened to go to UW, University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire's website, and they very clearly say, it's available to everyone who's coming from those states. Um, so it really just depends on the institution. I mean, like we, like we always say, it depends on the institution because it depends on what their enrollment goals are and how they're competing in the market. Um, but it is important to know that not all public institutions in each of those states participates. Right. So like the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which I've got tons of kids from the East Coast who want to go there. Let me guess, that does not, they do not participate in this. Program. Right. So in, in a few of the states, the, the flagships do not participate. So uh, while all of the University of Wisconsin, it looks like all of the University of Wisconsin campuses do participate, except for Madison. Got it. Um, and in Minnesota, um, now Minnesota is a different beast in a, another way because they've got some other programs going. But for instance, the Univers- University of Minnesota system doesn't participate, but the Minnesota state system does. 
So um, <clears throat> it just, they tend to be, and I don't want to generalize because it does, you know, Kansas State and University of Kansas both participate. Um, University of Missouri, the main campus, says they do participate, although when you look at the data, it doesn't look like they made any awards last year. Um, so I don't want to say no flagships participate, but in general, when you just look at the list, most of them are public regional institutions. Got it. All right. So, uh, and you know, the other big one around here is University of Michigan. And I speak from a totally East Coast biased, you know, when I look at where my kids willing to go in the Midwest, those are the two big schools that they are most likely to consider. And those are neither of them participate, but I guess it doesn't really matter because they're not from those states. So right. (laughs) It wouldn't matter anyway. For Midwesterners from those states, that's important to know. Now it is, it is easy to find out which schools participate. So there's a website um, so here we go. It's M-S-E-P dot M-H-E-C dot org. Got it. And it, it's actually a really great website. And honestly, you could, you could probably just search Midwest Student Exchange Program, and that's the website. In fact, I know you can, and that's the website that would come up. And so you're able to put in your home state and then what kind of a degree you're looking for, whether it's an associate or a bachelor's degree, um, and then the state you might want to be interested in studying in, and then they'll come up with a whole list of schools. And it's really a great website. You can also, um, there's a section that says, you know, how does it work, and then it says read more, and you'll see off to the right, um, there's a link to MSEP enrollment data, and they really get into the detail of how many awards were made at each institution. So mm-hmm. in terms of the states themselves, um, Wisconsin, Missouri, and North Dakota were clearly the most generous. They had the most in number and amount of awards by far. Got it. When you said that some at some schools it's not competitive, but at other schools it is, is there any information about you know, what makes a student competitive for those awards at, at the schools where they make it competitive? Yeah, I mean, just from clicking around in the website, for each of the schools listed, there's a link for details. And so on one school, it said something like, you know, you must have an ACT score of 26 and be, you know, and you have to, it's only available in these majors um, versus another school where it said, you know, these are open to anybody coming from these states. So it really just varies by school, but it's very clear on the website. And and I guess what we could probably assume is that the schools that are more generous um, are looking for more students, or is that yeah. really not enough? You think so? Okay, good. I right. I sure. mean, because you think about it for a school, um, and depending on what their tuition is, even charging 150% of tuition is better than, I mean, if you don't have enough in-state students, then you're happy to to bring in many out-of-state students at 150% because that's more revenue. And right you know, you're, you're willing to do that. So that's why, I mean, you think about North Dakota, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they've got some great schools in North Dakota, actually, but they, they don't. They do, with some really good hockey finding numbers of 18 to 22-year-olds, so they're yep. needing to recruit. Got it, and make got it, it. make it attractive for kids to go. Absolutely, that makes sense. You know, we talk, we've used the word reciprocity. Is this program the same as reciprocity, or is that um, something? Yeah, like, technically not. So, I mean, this is 150% of resident tuition, and it's an exchange program. Um, So, for instance, reciprocity usually means reduced rates. Sometimes it means, you know, you pay the 
same rate. Sometimes you pay your own in-state rate. just depends on the reciprocity agreement. But for example, like Minnesota has reciprocity agreements with Wisconsin, North Dakota, and South Dakota. So if you're a resident of Minnesota, you'd get a better deal, you know, that way just by using reciprocity. So you wouldn't you wouldn't want to use the MSEP program. I got um, it. They also have a list of schools in their annual report um, of schools who used to participate in mm-hmm. MSEP but don't anymore just because their out-of-state tuition is less than 150% of their resident tuition. So they, got don't, it. they don't need to participate anymore. So um, now for most of those schools, most of them coincidentally were in Minnesota because Minnesota's community colleges, it looks like, are charging in-state for everyone. Um, but there are also a few of those schools in Michigan, Nebraska, and North Dakota. So just got to take right. a look at those. So not participating in MSEP is definitely not an indication necessarily that there aren't deals to be had. And as exactly. with most stuff, you need to keep digging. Um, yeah, so that's right. um, it, it's good. It's just as as with everything, it seems with this process, it it's more complicated necessarily than it appears at first glance. Um, yes, which well, I suppose you know, is why we do this. That's a great point about Iowa, actually. Mm-hmm. When you say that, I mean, we know that Iowa offers scholarships to out-of-state kids, and they're pretty clear about it on their website. So, just because they don't participate in MSEP doesn't mean you can't get a good deal. Right. Exactly. So, don't take that at face value. As with most things, you need to keep doing a little bit of digging. Mm-hmm. Um, what about applying? Is that a, a very involved process? Um, do different schools have different requirements? How does that work? Yeah, I think um, I think for some schools, you're considered just as part of the admission process, but other schools may have a process. So, if you're applying to a school where you know that they offer MSEP, certainly use the MSEP website, and they tell you to contact the campus administrator, so there's usually a person in charge of the program, and sometimes there could be an application. Um, There could be deadlines. There could be deadlines for admission, Um, just like all other merit scholarships. You know, the answer varies depending on the institution, but you should definitely start out by uh, looking at that MSEP website and contacting the campus administrator at the college's that you're interested in. Got it. So best place to start is that website. And I'll say it again for our listeners, msep.mhec.org. Or you could just look up Midwest Student Exchange Program, Google that or Bing it. And uh, you should come up to that with that website. Kathy, this this has been super helpful, very informative. And I really appreciate you joining us to tell us more about this today. Happy to help. Happy research, everyone. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So after the break, we're going to be answering your college admissions questions, so don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, 
the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Very excited. We're doing, as I mentioned in a previous show, we're going to have a monthly segment now where we're going to answer your questions on college admissions. We're also doing a separate monthly section or Yes, segment on uh, answering your financial aid questions or your college finance questions. But today we're all about admissions, and I'm happy to have my colleague Erica here who is got a long list of questions that have come in, and I'm going to get to as many of them as we can in the time that we have today. Hi, Erica. Hello. We do. We have a long list and a lot of really great questions. All right. Well, why don't we just jump right in? Sure. So first question. Is it better to take a heavy load of APs, honors, or to take a lighter load and get all A grades? So this might be the eternal college admissions question, so much so that if you go to our archives and you look, the very first show that we did uh, a year ago in February um, was titled, Is it better to get an A in college prep or a B in honors? or something similar to that. 
so the question, the answer really is it really does depend. So um, it might surprise you to learn that the vast majority of colleges in this country really don't care if you are taking advanced level courses. They're totally fine with college prep. Uh, they are totally fine in many of those with A's and B's and in some cases C's. Uh, so there are so many colleges in this country, more than 3,700, that uh, the answer here is it sort of depends on what's right for you. If you are aspiring to some of the more selective schools in this country, uh, and you, again, might be surprised to know that only 21% of the colleges uh, in this country turn away more students than they admit, but those, those schools do start to make dif- decisions and start to sort of differentiate between students uh, based on things like grades and curriculum choices and test scores. Um, so my advice would be, if you are easily getting straight A's in a college prep curriculum and you attend a school that offers a more advanced level, whether that's honors courses or uh, AP courses or maybe an international baccalaureate program or something else, some other thing that they've identified as more advanced, then I would absolutely recommend trying those courses. Maybe you don't want to go from a totally college prep curriculum to an all honors curriculum. Maybe you want to try taking some honors level courses in areas that are a particular uh, area of interest or strength for you as a student or for your child if you're a parent listening in. Um, A good sign that there is uh, enough rigor but not too much is if the student continues to do pretty well or maybe the grades go from straight A's to some A's and some A minuses or a B plus or two. Um, if the student goes from a totally college prep curriculum to a totally honors or higher curriculum and the grades drop a full grade level, so instead of getting straight A's, now your child's getting straight B's, that's generally an indication that, that it's too much rigor uh, and you probably want to pull back in a few areas. I would say that at the most selective level, the expectation is the student is doing the most rigorous curriculum available and doing extraordinarily well in that. So, in other words, that the Ivy League schools or places like Stanford or Caltech or MIT, uh, they are looking for A's in honors and APs. They're not looking for a student to take honors and AP and get B's. Um, But there are schools where they would love to see students in honors and APs, and if they've gotten some Bs, that's fine. Um, University of Vermont, where my stepson attends, is a place that will actively say, hey, we'd love to see you challenging yourself, and we're okay if that means you're not going to get straight A's. Um, We'd like to see those more advanced courses. So in short, there is no great, easy answer to this question, and that's why it's continually asked. Um, I would say that as a student, you want to try and find the right level of challenge so that school isn't so easy that you're getting straight A pluses, but also not so hard that you're finding it really difficult to keep up with the workload and do reasonably well. And I would say that reasonably well would be a mix of A's and B's. Uh, If you're starting to get all B's with um, some really low B's and maybe even some C's, then that might be a sign that the rigor you're enrolled in is a little bit too much for you. Next, we have a testing-related question. Um, The question reads, my daughter did really well on the last ACT she took, getting a 32 composite, but the writing section was significantly lower, only a 22. 
does she need to retest? Do colleges care about this? Really great and very timely question. Uh, and of course, hard to answer overly simply, but I'm going to do my best. Um, the ACT, that 32 that the parent is talking about, is a composite score, and that's 32 out of 36 possible points. So you can see that a 22 out of 36 is uh, a fairly comparatively low score. Um, and what's interesting is that the ACT just recently started scoring that writing section in the same way that it scores the other four sections of the ACT. Typically, the writing section was scored on um, a 12-point scale, and so a 12 would have been a really excellent score, uh, and an 8 would have been an okay score. But now that it's scored on this you know, more equivalent scale, what we're seeing is that there is um, a significant difference sometimes between how the student is doing overall and then how they're doing on the writing section. A couple of things to note, writing on the ACT is an optional section of the test. Not all colleges require it. Uh, and with the SAT making the writing section optional with the new test that's uh, debuting in March, there are a number of schools who have said, um, we're not even, even schools who currently require the optional section on the ACT are now saying we don't require the optional writing on the ACT or the optional writing on the SAT. So first of all, it's very possible that this is not a section that the colleges are requiring or care about. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that with the ACT more so than with the SAT, there is a tendency to look more at the composite score, which is an average of the score that the student gets in the math section, the reading section, the English section, and the science section. So basically the ACT takes the individual scores in those four sections and averages them to get the composite score. And for whatever reason, it has been very common for colleges to primarily look at the composite score. You might look at the subscores, but the composite score sort of reigns supreme, which is different from the SAT where most colleges are looking at the individual section scores. So in the current SAT, they look at the math, the critical reading, and the writing although not all colleges have always considered the writing. Um, now that the SAT is going to make writing optional, they're going back to looking at primarily at two sections, the writing, I'm sorry, the critical reading and the math section. So again, I've said I'm going to try to answer this simply. I'm fairly certain everyone's going, wait, what now? <laughs> um, but the, the reality is that um, there are a few a few things going on with that writing section on the ACT. One, the colleges may not very be looking at it. Two, they primarily look at the composite. So even if they are looking at the writing score, they're probably not spending a whole lot of time worrying too much about it. And three, this seems to be an across-the-board challenge that a lot of people are seeing. And by that, I mean a lot of people are seeing very low scores on the writing section in comparison to the rest. With that in mind, the ACT is actually um, op offering up this opportunity for the writing section to be rescored. So what they'll do is they will actually have the writing test, they'll have um, another person review it and see if they feel that that first score was accurate. It costs $50. If the ACT finds that the score was um, too low and they actually it should be awarded a higher score, they will refund 
that $50 and um, use the higher score. If it comes back that they actually feel like the score should have been lower, um, they will keep the $50, but they will not change your writing score. So it's all you really have to lose is $50. Uh, And there is quite a bit of potential to gain. What I'm not sure about is what the time limitation on it is. So I'm not sure if the deadline has passed for this particular last round of ACT scores that came out. Um, But it is something to keep in mind. If you want to learn more about that option, you want to go to the ACT website, which is very simple. It's ACT.org. Another um, scoring-related question. Um, It reads, Will colleges care about my test scores if I'm applying as a transfer after just one year at a community college? That is a very good question. Um, I think the first thing to understand is that when a student applies as a transfer applicant, the closer the student is to high school, the more important the high school record, including test scores, are going to be. So if you only have, when you apply... Uh, after only one year of school uh, outside of high school. So, right, so at the community college, if you're applying with only one year of community college, what that typically means is that you are applying to transfer in the spring of your first year in community college. So, for the most part, the colleges are really only going to see your first semester's worth of grades. And for that reason, they generally also need to look at the record you put together in high school. They're going to look at that a little bit more closely because they only have a limited amount of information from your time in college. So they will get to see your full senior year. If your grades have been on an upswing, that's going to be great, especially if you've continued that into community college. Um, But they are generally going to be looking at your test scores, and so those are still going to be fairly important. And if they weren't great you might want to consider retaking them uh, now that you're in college to see if you could potentially improve them. After two years away from high school, some schools aren't necessarily even going to require that you submit standardized testing because now they've got a year and a half worth of college to look at, uh, and that to them is generally going to be a better indicator than anything you did in high school. Um, But that's not a guarantee. And depending on how selective the school you're applying to is, uh, those test scores might still be important. And so, again, I will repeat that you might want to consider retesting if those scores were not great. And given that you're asking about it, my sense is that they probably don't measure up quite as well. Um, And I think the third thing to keep in mind is that uh, there are many schools, many four-year institutions where starting at a community college is exactly totally fine with them. I mean, California is a great example. Their community college system is set up to funnel students from the community college into the four-year institutions. And so that is a huge focus of their transfer process. Um, But if you're looking to transfer into a more selective institution from a community college, I think it's important to understand and you should probably have a conversation with the people um, who support those transfer applications at your college, at your community college, um, how many students typically apply to that school, how many are successful, and, um, you know, making sure that uh, what you have as part of your package is going to be appropriate uh, for the school that you're looking to transfer into. And again, that might mean doing some retesting. 
We've got uh, we've got testing on the brain, which makes a lot of sense. Um, this <laughs> next question is: If my son is in an IB curriculum, is it required that he still take SAT subject tests? Uh, my favorite response: It depends. I would say <laughs> an, an IB curriculum is that that is a program called the International Baccalaureate, and the International Baccalaureate program there is a full diploma option, uh, there is a certificate option. It kind of depends what the high school offers, and this this is a program that's somewhat more frequently offered in the U.S. lately. It it comes from international schools. Um, but we are seeing some U.S. schools adopt this. Um, it's really the program that the school is using for its students, and it generally doesn't have any impact at all on what the college's requirements are. So certainly there might be a college or two that say, hey, if you've completed an IB curriculum and you have you know, a certain number of projected scores that are going to be in a range we find acceptable, that could supplant the need to do some subject tests. But those are going to be schools that have test flexible or test optional policies. Um, there, if the school requires subject tests, and really only a handful of colleges do require those, most of them are going to require those regardless of whether you have AP scores or IB scores to show. So my, while it does depend, my guess is that, yes, he will still have to take subject tests if he is applying to colleges that require them. And again, only a handful require them. So if he's not planning to apply to schools that require them, then nope, he won't have to. But that won't really have anything to do with the fact that he's in the IB program. And I think we have time for one more question um, because I'm so long-winded, we're not going to get to more than that. <laughs> okay, so our last question, um, do colleges show preferences to private high schools over public high schools in admissions? This may be uh, right up there with the A in honor, or, you know, A in college prep versus a B in honors question in that it's something that parents and students really, uh, you know, are always eager to try and better understand how where you go to high school impacts your chances of admission. What I can tell you is that, and we actually did a whole segment on this in, in one of the shows we did early on. So again, go to the archives. They're awesome. There's all kinds of great stuff there. But in the archives, you will see that there, um, you know, we did a whole session around how where you go to school impacts admission. But basically, the colleges are evaluating the applicant and and what they took advantage of, sort of what was available to them and what they took advantage of. So to imagine that a college would prefer private high school applications over public high school applications would be um, wrong and somewhat silly because the schools aren't applying, the students are applying. So if a student is lucky enough to attend a really wonderful private high school, um, the expectation on the college side is that they're they want to see them taking advantage of a lot that that school has to offer. Uh, and sometimes the public school has even more to offer than the private school does. So it's really impossible to make a blanket statement. And what I would say here is really that above all else, um, it's about the applicant and not about the school. So if you are focused on doing as much as you can do and doing as well as you can do, that's really what the colleges care about. Um, so that's it. Erica, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate Of course. Thank you. 
Absolutely, and I want to thank Kristen and Kathy for joining me earlier in the show as well. And there are a few important notes before we wrap up. Um, We're excited to see that those of you who are going to download the show from iTunes have started to give us some ratings. We would love it if more of you would do so. Uh, The show is available for free to download from iTunes, and so you can load it onto your device and then listen to it whenever you want to. Um, And if you have a minute to rate the show while you're there, that would be fabulous. Uh, And like I just gave you a couple of examples of the ways in which our archives really have a lot to offer. Um, We would encourage you to go there and check it out. We're also on Pinterest now. So search for at college coach BH and you'll go right to us. There's all kinds of fun things going up on Pinterest these days. Um, Next week's show, no different from any show that we do, I think has got lots of really good and useful stuff. Um, My colleague Sally Ganga is going to be hosting. We're going to have another in our high school plan series. This one is around courses and extracurricular activities for pre-dental students. So those future dentists in the crowd, you're going to want to check that out. We're also going to be talking about co-op programs. A couple of episodes ago, I had a student on who was talking about her experience at Northeastern and how much she enjoys the co-op program. And it reminded me that maybe not everyone's aware of what co-op programs are. And so my colleague, Kenan Dick, who worked at um, Drexel University, which also has a co-op program, is going to come on and talk to us about those types of programs and what they're all about. We're also going to be talking about comparing financial aid award offers. It is that time of year, and you would think it would be relatively simple, but as with most things in this, there are some complications, and so we're going to help you understand how you go about doing that and how you really understand what you're being offered. Um, And finally, you want to email us. We want to get your questions and we want to answer them on air and we want to maybe even do a segment based on a question. Um, So email us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.